Welcome back to another episode of Family Illinois Football Podcast. I'm your host, Juice Williams, here with my co-host, Cam Buckner. Cam, what's going on? How are you? I'm doing all right, brother. Bye week. Um, got a little bit of rest from watching some football, uh, and now it's time to get back into it, Greg. I'm doing great, man. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. I t- actually, I took a break off from college football this week, um, probably because Illinois wasn't playing. I usually watch like four or five games, but uh, I ain't watched any college football this week. Uh, but heavy on the on the NFL football this week. So yesterday was a good day. Yeah. Um, I've been I've been playing Mr. Mom, Mr. Dad the entire weekend. I got the girls solo. So I mean, between entertaining a a four year old and a six year old and trying to watch NFL football games, I mean it's been it was it was definitely a little a little interesting <laughs> in the Williams yeah. household. But it's all good. We made it out. We made it out. That's, so that's good cool. stuff, man. And and listen, I watched a little bit of NFL this this week too. Um, Obviously, another disappointing Bears loss. Um, the good thing for me is I get to split my best because, just as you know, um, I'm a New Orleans Saints fan as well. And so seeing them pick up a W uh, helped yeah. me out, uh, you know, with the weekend, huh, man? But I did watch a little bit of college football. Um, and one thing that came out of this weekend was that uh, the Wisconsin Badgers failed to uh, the Ohio State Buckeyes. And I very rarely root for Ohio State, but I actually was happy to see um, that loss in, in Madison for Wisconsin, given what happened with us last week. Now, uh, Wisconsin is no longer the leader in the Big Ten West, which I think is uh, good for, for our guys moving forward. Um, and, you know, I, I very, you know, really like to call out players from other teams' juice. But one one thing I saw this weekend watching that game is that Marley Harrison Jr. is just an animal, bro. Um, he's a big – he has the size. He has the speed. He's a big man that plays like a little guy. Um, his catch radius is, is incredible. People compare him to folks like A.J. Green and DeAndre Hopkins and, and, and Megatron. His ability to separate and to run these like super nuanced and flexible routes, I think he's going to be a big, big deal in the NFL. Man, I was excited yeah. to watch him this weekend. He's a he's a talent. Hey, I, I've been talking about this kid for the last few weeks, and um, one of my buddies hit me up and asked, "Is he just a product of the Ohio State system, or you know, is he just kind of you know reflection of a down defensive year in the Big Ten? I mean, the answer to that is like, nah, he's a real deal." Because yes. for the the football purist, you know how hard it is to get open as a receiver. You know how it's even harder to get open when you know the like the, the secondary is looking for you, right? They the schemes are built around slowing you down, and this dude constantly finds a way to get open. He knows football. He knows zones. He knows when to slow up. He knows when to speed. He know he know when to, to stair step man to man routes. He know how to beat man. He know he. He just gets football, and I think a lot of that has to do with him being, you know, in the Harris bloodline with his father being a Hall of Famer and him having, you know, one of the greatest tutors he can have in his dad. He knows football. You combine that with his natural ability, he has the height, he has the speed, he has the catch radius like you talk about. Combined with the IQ, you can't stop this dude. Like, he's easily yeah. the number one receiver in America. He's the top He's the top receiver coming out. So, I mean, any, any NFL team is going to be – um, you know, lucky to have him a uh, part of the roster next year. I, I totally agree, man. So it's going to be fun to watch him as he continues, uh, you know, to move and to grow. But um, it, it it says a lot uh, to see the way he's been able to to chop up defenses in what uh, I maintain is college football country. So speaking of NFL, man, I wanted to um, talk about the Bears for a second. You know, we roll from Chicago. We're we're Bears fans by default, whether we like it or not. Um, 
the first time I ever heard this word controversy was when I was in college. Myself and Eddie McGee, I got hurt my sophomore year, the Rose Bowl year. And Eddie came in second mid-second quarter, hadn't played a snap in college yet. And he almost go he goes out and almost beat um beats on Missouri, you know, in St. Louis is a rival game. You know, we were down three touchdowns. He almost comes back and beat them from that turn from that day four. I heard the I used I heard the term controversy in the media. What are your thoughts? What are your feelings around the quarterback position with the Chicago Bears with Justin Fields being hurt and Tyson Baggett, he, him playing somewhat somewhat good, you know, better than what we've seen in the last couple of weeks or earlier this season? It's kind of what are your thoughts based yeah. on that so far? Well, I think the, the, the Bears have always um, done their best when there is a quarterback, quote-unquote quarterback controversy in the works. So we can go look back uh, in the early and mid-2000s and look at guys like Lex Grossman and Kyle Ord and Jim Miller um, and how – you know the, the number of guys who have ever started to play, who have started quarterback for Chicago Bears is probably uh, larger than the most uh, teams because we've always kind of thrived on that quote unquote quarterback controversy. Listen, you, you know this juice. Um, what really matters is whether or not a person is able to uh, show the results. Um, and uh, you know, Justin has some some sparks of greatness last year. We were all worried about him not being protected this year and start off the way it was supposed to uh, start, and then many of our um, biggest fear happened when he got hurt. Um, and, and now, uh, you know, the Duke, Duke QB1 has, has stepped up and, and kind of filled the space. Um, winning that first game out the gate against Las Vegas, uh, and then now going back out to, to the West Coast and, and losing to, to Los Angeles. Um, you know, I don't buy too much or put too much stock into the quarterback controversy conversation. Uh, what matters is whether they actually win games, right? And that's what the Bears need to be focused on today, tomorrow, and yesterday. And they can figure that out. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I agree 100%. I mean, um, I think it's a little too premature to talk controversy in the quarterback, you know, the best quarterback meeting room as of right now. Tyson's come out and played better, but still wins or losses kind of dictate, you know, whether or not we deem a quarterback being successful in the NFL. You have to go out there and win games. And right now, Justin is still QB1. He's just down. I mean, and I think salary has a lot to do with this too. Like you want to play your guy, you play the guys who making the top dollar. You want to pay the, you know, play the, you know, the face of your organization. Right. So, you know, as so of right now, I think Justin is still that guy. Um, we all know he's still young. Obviously, year three, we would like to see, you know, that progression that we commonly see from top tier quarterbacks. But you know, it's a lot of factors, a lot of moving parts to kind of go into the success of the quarterback position. You know, you know, uh, play calling. Um, you know, the the you know the weapons around you, the offensive line, whether or not you know everyone's on the same page in terms of like hot routes and adjustments and things like that. So it's a lot of factors that go into this. I think it's a you know part of the conversation is how do we get Justin to get a little bit more comfortable in the pocket to be more of a pocket passer, but not a pure pocket passer. I don't think that's his, I don't think that's a strong suit. You can't come out and lead the NFL in Russia you know, for the last couple of years, then all of a sudden just jumped into be the next, you know, uh, pocket polished pack, pocket passer because you get a new offensive coordinator in it. That's not how that works. So I think getting him comfortable, sliding the pocket, uh, yeah. getting him around a little bit, um, getting him into situations where he's comfortable, where he's found success, not only with the Bears, but also with some of the stuff that we saw him do at Ohio State. That's right. And he is a quarterback that um, comfort, comfortability, comfort, uh, it's going to be um, the calling of the realm for him. It matters. And what I think many of us saw in the beginning of this year was that it was very obvious that he had been tinkered with uh, by the quarterback's coach and by the old coordinator, trying to break him down and uh, make him a passer in a way that he wasn't, right? He's got to feel the game. It has to be intuitive. 
uh, be able to run around the field uh, and the foul is to make plays. That's what you want from the guy who's QB1. And I still do believe that Justin Fields is the right guy in that position for the Chicago Bears. No doubt. And I say that, and I echo this from the top of the mountain. You know, anytime you have a super talent like that in Justin Fields, Yes, I mean, we all expect him to be Superman, right? But within his sort of arsenal of abilities. We know Justin can throw the ball down the field. We know he's a superb runner. Him still developing to a polished pocket passer, that's still in the works. So in the meantime, put him in favorable situations. Like I said, move the pocket, get him on a run, keep the defense off balance with some RPOs, run pass options, let his legs sort of dictate the, um, what, what the rest of the defense do, I think you'll find success almost instantly. All right, so, so I yeah. mean, TBD on that. I mean, I'm pulling for the guy. I, I love to see, uh, you know, that, that type of talent at the quarterback position, especially with the Chicago Bears. So, so I'll, I'll surely be tuning in for that. Um, all right, so back to Champaign. We got Minnesota this week. Um Look, I, I hate putting must-win tags on games, but we got four left. All right, we need three out of the four to become bowl eligible. Every game is a must-win. All right, obviously dropping the ball to to Wisconsin kind of hurt us a little bit. Um, it, it, it slows the the momentum that we had coming off that Maryland game. You know, what are your thoughts? What are your what are your you know what are your comments on Minnesota this upcoming week? And what do you think is going to be some keys for us going out there and, and ultimately winning this game? So I'm super excited. Um, you know, coming off of a a bye week, I'm looking at this as a real season reset. This is a new season. We're 0-0, uh, and we got to find a way to win out uh, in this 0-0 season so we can be in the right places in in January. Um, the Minnesota week is always a, a big week and a fun week in the Buckler, in the Buckner family. Uh, two of my older sisters, older sisters, I went to school at Minnesota, and so we got a little family rivalry going on here. Uh, and so it's going to be fun. Listen, at the end of the day, I think that all of these games are must-wins, and I do believe that we um, can, can find a way to do it. I've watched Minnesota a bit this year, uh, and they have a bottom 25 defense uh, when it comes to third down. I think third down conversion uh, is going to be important. Uh, I also know that we're pretty evenly matched with this team. I think we, we, we have a lot of similarities. And so when you got a, a, a matchup like that, the error becomes minuscule. The margin of error becomes extremely small. We can play counts in that space. Uh, and if we do the right things to stay disciplined, um, we're going we're to be able to walk out of here with victory. Um, if I had to say, Juice, what I thought that this game was going to be about um, uh, this this week, you know, I'm the defensive guy. I talk a lot about defense. I talk a lot about not being able to have a good program or a good team or a good season without having a great defense. But uh, this week, I think the onus is going to be on the offensive line to show up. I think the O-line has to protect Luke. I think they have to be able to open up and create holes to, to run the ball. Um, I told somebody other, uh, hot girl summer is over. It's fat boy fall. Um, the front, <laughs> they got to come. It's fat boy fall. Um, and I think this entire game is going to depend on them, uh, how they're able to control the clock, how to move the ball to protect our guys. Uh, and, and this is going to be, I think, their coming out party if they can get this right. Got it, man. Hey, so look, I, I, I've been saying all season – you know, Luke Altmaier is is a special talent, inexperienced for the most part, but a special talent. I think he has some ability to go out there and be effective in the game. And all season I've been saying he has to be the guy that goes out and manage the game. Not necessarily go out there and try to make a ton of big plays and win games, but get the ball to your playmakers. 
make sure that the offensive line understands the task on you know every single play. Move the chain, sustain third downs. I've said all season, Luke Altmaier has to be the game manager. But now this is the time, and you look back historically, whether you talk about Illinois football or just college football in general, when you have a young talent with abilities like Luke, this is around a time where that switch flips a little bit. You go from game manager to game controller, ultimately to winner. And I think this is the time where Luke starts to go out and put himself out there because he's made enough plays this season to prove to himself and to the offensive staff and to everyone in college football that he's more than capable of leading his offense and, you know, ultimately going out there and making plays. I think this is the time where he steps out there as a leader and as a playmaker now and not being as reserved and conservative and only looking at third downs and just moving the chains. Now I think it's time where he started to go out there and make them plays and be the playmaker and inject himself with Isaiah Williams out there receiver and, and Reggie Love in the backfield, like inject yourself as a playmaker. So now make defenses step up to stop you now versus you just kind of being in the backdrop. So this is the time where I think Luke's be a little bit more of a risk taker, right? Stand in the pocket a little bit longer to make that throw. Step up and use his legs to extend the plays a little bit. Not being so shy to you know take a take a shot at the at the at uh, at the go routes and the post routes and things like that. I think this is the time where Luke begins to step up and let people know this is my team, and we're going to win because of me now, not just as a manager, but me as a playmaker. I think, I think that's absolutely right. Um, he, he, is at, he is at that juncture, at that point where we get the chance now to see who Luke really is going to be um, and, and, and what um, he does under pressure, how he takes this team by the mantle, and once again, as you said, not just manage the clock, not just manage the game, not just manage the offense, but manage – um, to, to really be a champion in this space, uh, to put this team on his shoulders and to move us forward. Uh, and so I like what you're saying, and I think that we're, we're actually on the same page here, man, because the only way for that to happen uh, is for the big guys up front to be able to, to do what they can uh, to protect him, to once again create the holes. This should be, um, you know, uh, the they should, our line, both our run blocking and pass blocking this week, need to have uh, the highest grading percentages that they've, they've had all, all year. Uh, in these spaces, so you know, Josh Troops, uh, Julian Pearl, um, these, these guys have the ability, I think, to really move the team forward. Uh, and I'm looking forward to what happened this week. Yeah. No, coming fresh off a of bye week, man. I mean, theoretically, you're energized, you're rested. You know, guys who had a few, you know, bumps and bruises had an extra week for let those heal. This is the time, like I said, and it started, and it started yesterday. In fact, it started Sunday. Where you 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 have your meetings filmed for the for the Minnesota games. I mean the the uh, game install is complete at this point. So now you really start to put into the minds of the guys in the locker room like this is the time to do it, and it has to come from the players. I know Coach B is preaching it. He walks around with that energy, and and that's only so much you can do. It's only so much you can do from the sideline. But I think you know guys like Luke, guys like Jerry Newton. Uh, guys like Pat Bryant, like those guys now yeah. step up and elevate themselves vocally in a locker room, and they set the standard from now up until kickoff where we're going to do everything we got to do to win this game. And it just don't happen on Saturday, right? It happens in practice. Right. It happens in preparation. And those guys take it one day at a time, win every single play, every down, every snap, every day. And then that, see, that seems to transition over into the Saturdays. And again, like I said, yeah. Luke, it's his time now to step up for him to start to make plays. But you just don't go up there and start throwing bombs right away, right? You get him comfortable. You get him into a rhythm. 
I mean, just me just kind of thinking back, my best games were me getting into that zone that we hear about. That zone of you can't stop nothing I'm doing because I'm comfortable. And it's a combination of run, running the ball, passing the ball, moving the pocket, rollouts, play action, throwing screens, just keeping the defense completely off balance and then, you know, uh, in order for Luke to go out there and get comfortable in the pocket. So I think that needs to be done. I think um, come Saturday, there has to be a mindset of, of dominance and control. Mm-hmm. Although we're, four, we're one and four in, the big, in Big Ten play right now, but that still needs to be this ego of y'all can't stop us. Like we show Maryland, right. they can't stop us. We let we let Wisconsin off the hook, but there's nothing y'all can do to, to to challenge us today. And I think them waking up with that mindset on Saturday, I mean, I think that's just going to simply be the difference between a win and a loss. And Juju, you make a great point. You you know, Saturday is the culmination, uh, but this week preparation is going to be extremely important. The way uh, the locker room is buzzing, the, the cadence um, uh, of the way these guys are interacting with each other, the the way they practice. Um, Monday through Saturday, Monday, Monday through through, thir- through Thursday, uh, it's going to be extremely important, right? So today, I can imagine that uh, the bells are ringing from Oak Hill Hall in, in, in Champaign, uh, and, and Coach B and his guys are, are excited to see how they t- how the how the team shows up. Uh, but in, in that vein, I got a question for you, man. I mean, you you um, you, uh, you hold um, some some big time records in Illinois, and I'm not even close to those records, but I do have a record that you don't have. Which is I've been kicked out of practice more times than you, uh, and, and so uh, my, my question for you, bro, is is uh, at a juncture like this, in a game like this, a week like this, as we're starting coming back from by week, where we got to win every game um, in order to to put the season where it needs to go. What kind of aggression do you want to see from your guys on the field, right? So there's a there's a there's a balance between aggressive and letting people know this is not a game, and then you know doing too much. Um, but what do you want to see? Uh, if, if, if you were the leader in that locker room and you want your guys to step up in a week like this, what do you want to see uh, from your guys on the practice field this week? Yeah, so, I mean, you're 100% right. You definitely got me on the number of times you've been kicked out of practice um, compared to mine. <laughs> I don't think I've been kicked out of any practice ever, um, but you definitely got the record on that. <laughs> hey, man, I mean, if you you put me put me back in a situation and, you know, replace me with Luke, for for example, with this very with this very team. You know, my expectations for everybody is one, we're going to take this one day at a time. Yes, we know we need three wins to ultimately get to, you know, being, being in bold contentions, but we need to take this one day at a time. So from here on out, I need everybody in their respective roles and what they do, whether you talk about scout team, whether you talk about the starting quarterbacks, the starting receivers, the back of offensive line, with respect to what you do, I need for you to show up and do your job and be lights out at it. Yeah, about every practice that you have, probably with the exception of Monday, because usually Monday is recovery and some conditioning in there. But every practice need to be the most competitive that you've ever seen. I remember Coach Zip will always kind of grade us and rank us like, is that the best Tuesday practice that we've had all year? Or is this the best Thursday practice yeah. we've had all year? He would do that. Yep. And that Rose Bowl year, every week it seems like, oh, it was the best one. Nope. Next week, that was the best one. And that was the best one. So if it's me, we need to have the best practices that we've had all season with, within what we do. And I'm talking one on, throwing one-on-one routes with the receivers. I'm talking about 707, 907 sessions, the blitz period, special teams. Everything needs to be damn that perfect in order to you know make sure that guys are being prepared. Even for the scout team. Scout team needs to come out there and run around and fly and make the ones and twos better. 
because ultimately those are going to be the sample looks that they get come Saturday. So you do that Monday through Friday. Saturday is going to be a cakewalk because you've already grinded it out Monday through Friday. If you battle with your brothers for four or five straight days, now all of a sudden you come out against the strangers on Saturday. I mean, look, maybe it's the way I grew up from the south side of Chicago, back against the wall, and I had much experience with fighting my way up out of situations. This is no different. Yeah. Your back is against the wall. You need three wins out of the next four games in order to become bowl eligible. What you going to do? I yeah. know what naturally I would do. And Him. not everyone always has that in the locker room, but it was up to me to kind of pull that out of everyone and make them hit a switch and say, look, we're in survival mode, so let's get it. Listen, what, what, one for all and all for one. I think you called it right. Making sure that everybody, does, everybody, everybody uh, does excuse me, their job. Everybody is locked in on, on, on what their specific role and task is to make this team better. Because guess what? Once we go to that bowl game, we uh, everybody gets a ring, right? Um, so everybody has a, a role to play. And I think I, I'm glad you you spoke up about um, you know uh, the, each each period in practice mattering, uh, and even the folks who are on scout team. Who, you know, we, we know how our locker rooms are. Sometimes scout team guys walk around with their heads down with an attitude, man. Um, but they have a role in that space. Uh, we can be honest about the fact when I was relegated to scout team in Champaign, I took that role seriously um, be, because it, it is what you do to make your team better. And so hopefully that's the that's the, the ethos uh, and the attitude we see in the locker room and on, on the practice field uh, this week. No, no doubt, bro. And I think, uh, again, this sets the stage for the rest of the for the rest of the season. What we do this week um, against Minnesota and, you know, for the rest of the season, we got Indiana next week. We got Iowa. Then we wrap the season up with Northwestern. Four winnable games, man. And, and by no means would it be a cakewalk. But, you know, assuming that we go and take care of business this Saturday against Minnesota, you know, how does that sort of – how would you like to see that momentum leak into the remainder of the year? How we approach the coming games after we take care of business this Saturday? This, this is, once again, the perfect situation. We're coming off – of a bye week, as I said earlier, this is a brand new season in which we can uh, go undefeated. And if we do that, um, you know, uh, all will be forgiven from the, the earlier blunders uh, of, of the year. Um, yeah, all these teams are extremely beatable. Uh, Minnesota, we have to start there. Uh, obviously, uh, Iowa, Indiana, and then getting to end up through the the, the year with uh, Illinois' other Big Ten team, uh, Northwestern and Champaign. Um, th- this is a perfect script for us. And so now what I hope to see is for us to get better every single week in these next uh, four outings. Uh, I hope to see uh, a different um, uh, a different position group kind of step up and overtake the game. I think this week is going to be uh, the offensive line. Uh, I think our DBs are going to be a part of that somewhere along the line. Um, our receiver core has really been getting busy, uh, but I think we got a game coming up soon, uh, maybe Northwestern Indiana, where we're going to see these guys just explode and show us who they really are. Um, you know, this is the stuff that people dream about. Uh, and and our, our guys have uh, prepared for this uh, all, all season, uh, all summer. Uh, and I'm excited to see what happens. So I, I got this interesting stat of, like, over the last 20 seasons, Illinois football has only gone to one back-to-back bowl game, right? And now that I think about it, I'm going to actually push that back even further. And I'm going to say – going back to maybe the last 30 years. Unless there was something I'm missing in the late 90s, I don't think Illinois has gone to back-to-back bowl games uh, since like 90, 91 season or something crazy like that. 
So it's kind of looking at the inconsistency over, you know, over the years. You know, what do you sort of, you know, attribute to that program uh, inconsistency in terms of just going to simply going back to bowl games, not not necessarily being national contenders or anything like that, um, but just simply getting to back to back bowl games. What will you sort of, you know, chalk up to, you know, being a, a inconsist, an inconsistent factor into us not being able to go to back to back bowl games as often as we probably should? Well, first, let me tell you, young man, your your history is correct. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Illinois, um, the last time that we were able to do the back to back, I think it was back to back to back was. Uh, 90, 91, and 92, uh, the Florida Bowl, the Jerry Hancock Bowl, and I think the Holiday Bowl um, in those early 90 years, right? Uh, and then we had a, a long fall off um, uh, before we were able to kind of get back into into our rhythm. You know, I, I think, unfortunately, the, the, the inconsistencies that you've seen with our programs over the years that we've really tried to find our identity. I think in the 80s and the 90s, we, we had uh, a lot of who we were going to be. Um, you know, I played in two different eras. I, I played for both Ryan Turner and Ryan Zook, uh, and those two programs couldn't have been, you know, more different. But the one thing that those two programs had in common was that they both had a BCS uh, birth, right? Um, in 2001, uh, Illinois won the Big Ten Championship and played in the Sugar Bowl against LSU in, in New Orleans. Uh, and obviously in 2008, um, we played in the Rose Bowl against USC in Pasadena. And so uh, while it seems over the years we've been, we've been off, I don't think that we're that far off, but but I will say just about consistency um, and about like building a program that can do what I would has done every year, right? Is is win seven to eight games, sometimes win ten, um, and and compete. Uh, I think that we we have got to get more serious overall about recruiting, about making sure we keep our guys in state because you know it's, it's one thing uh, to to lose a a recruit um, that should be in Champaign to someone else. But when you lose them to Iowa or Wisconsin, uh, you know, or Purdue, uh, then it really hurts because you got to see them every every year, right? And so, um, I, I do like what Coach B and this program and this uh, this this staff is doing when it comes to keeping guys in state to making sure that uh, we keep our best talent. But I'll say I'll say this, Juice, um, if if Illinois, and this is done, this is an Illinois football podcast, but if Illinois sports, I mean, men's basketball, women's basketball, baseball, if we keep thirty three percent of the top in-state talent in the state and, and have them in Champagne every year. We're top 25 in every single sport from now into eternity. I mean, sheesh, that's a bold statement. 33% stay home and that's top 25 in every sport. Hey, that's a bold statement. I mean, look, you make a good point, right? Uh, and I'm just, I'm going to play hypothetical based on what you just said. Imagine myself, it's just recent years, myself, Rashad Mendehall, Pierre Thomas, Martez Wilson. Imagine if we go, Jeff Allen, imagine we go to Northwestern, Notre Dame, Michigan, and Ohio State. I'm not trying to play against Mendehall in Wisconsin as a Wisconsin running back for four years. I'm not trying to see Pierre on, you know, up in Minnesota with what they do with running backs, with his sort of, uh, with his style of play. I'm not trying to see that for four years. Yeah. And that's what what's been going on when we see guys like Ty Isaac, uh, uh, who went out to uh, Ty ended up going to Michigan ultimately. I think he went to USC first, but he ultimately went to uh, went to Michigan. He was one of the top running backs in his class. Uh, Kyle Prater he committed to USC instead of coming to Illinois. He went to USC. Ultimately, ended up in Northwestern. 
we see elite talent like that lead the state of Illinois, and I think you make a valid point. You know, you keep those guys at home. Obviously, we understand the rigorous sort of schedule and lifestyle of being a student athlete is tough. And when you go to, you know, places that's outside of home, you know, particularly East Coast or West Coast, you know, you tend to struggle a little bit. But those guys have, you know, for whatever odd reason, you just seem to have more success when you do stay home. Whether it be your parents could come to every game or, you know, you have some familiar faces that you can call on that can make a short drive and come, you know, provide some comfort there. So for whatever reason, that has tended, you know, trended to be some of the uh, success for not only for the Illinois program, but you look at Alabama and Georgia and Clemson and, you know, uh, Penn State. Those guys lock, they put gates around their states and, and make sure right. those, that talent stays within the program. So, and I, and I think it's a lot, you know, it's a lot to be said about that. I mean, Texas, Florida, we say that all the time. Like, they don't let their top guys leave. So I, I absolutely think there has to be a heavier instant, um, you know, emphasis on, not only just the state of Illinois high school football, but that Chicago land area. You know, you're talking about, you know, something from a population of what, like 5 million people, like in the Chicago land area. It's a lot of talent to pull from. Yeah. So I, I think, okay. I think you lock up the state for sure. And that, and that makes a, you know, that makes a huge, huge difference um, in terms of just talent, just on rotation, just constantly going. You graduate one and you lose, you know, you, you lose a few to the NFL. You got the next in line. Like we see that all the time with programs like Ohio State and Florida State and Miami and, and Alabama. Like you see that all the time. That, that, that's right. And and I was gonna I was gonna mention Ohio because they're a state that does it the right way uh, as well. Um, and, and unlike you know Florida or Texas or California, they've got one flagship uh, school in that state. Uh, and you can guarantee whoever the coach of Ohio State is, they've got Ted Ginn Senior on speed dial. They've got the high school coaches in town on speed dial. Uh, so Coach B is doing that. Coach Coach B is starting to uh, build relationships with um, the high school coaches around the state um, uh, and in the Chicagoland area, which is a, a huge deal. I also think we have an opportunity um, in this transfer portal era now, and that's a whole different story. I won't go into my, my feelings on the transfer portal, but that's where we are now. Uh, and so for the guys who, who we have lost, uh, for the guys who have gone other places uh, and find themselves not comfortable, uh, we need to be an opening door for them to come back home. Uh, we saw that some uh, in, in our era, Juice, when guys like Akeem Millington, who uh, went and played in, in I think, uh, two Oklahoma. Orange Bowls uh, at Oklahoma um, and was All-American coming out of uh, Wheaton Warrenville South, uh, decided to end his football career in Champaign. Uh, and Akeem made a difference for, for us as a program, right? And so um, uh, it, it's a big deal as, as guys uh, kind of move throughout the transfer portal in this situation. Uh, making sure that they can come to Champaign, come back to Champaign, come back home, and we'll be there with, with welcome arms. That's a big deal as well. Yeah, man, and I'm gonna push it a step further. I mean, we talk about recruiting, um, but but I think it, I think recruiting extends outside of just the football and the basketball program. I think us as alumni in our respective markets where we currently live, me being out in the D.C. area. You being by coastal and guys is kind of all over the place. I think us advocating for the University of Illinois, wearing our gear, promoting the university, and putting University of Illinois on the forefront of people's mind. You know, obviously we know about Michigan, we know about Ohio State, we know about Oregon, USC, Alabama, Texas. We know about all these flagship programs, and I get it. And I think that's large part to not not only them just having some success in those sports, but they have alumni who who represent their 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 universities proudly. And it's so easy for a 16, 17-year-old kid who constantly hear about 
Clemson and he's up in Oregon somewhere, I mean, you, you have no choice but to see what Clemson is all about because you, whether it's a parent or whether it's a, a friend of the family who's representing a university, I mean, you have no choice but to check it out and hear what all the buzz is about. So I think, you know, it, it, it takes a full community, right? It takes, it takes all of us and not necessarily only cheering when we're doing well because, you know, college football, it's ebbs and flows to it, right? We can't be all in when we go to a Rose Bowl, when we go to a Sugar Bowl, when we go and plan for the Big Ten Championship. That's not the only time to do that, right? We keep that cycle of talent coming through and by probably wearing our stuff when we go 0-12. Now, I don't want to see us go 0-12 and it'd be tough to wear it, but there's a sense of pride for me. I'm wearing orange and blue regardless of what. All right, and and I'm and I'm gonna stand on my program because that's just my allegiance to the program. And I think as an alumni base, you know, with the exception of engineering, Illinois engineering, I don't think we have that much pride in our collegiate sports um, department because for whatever reason, we tend to kind of disappear a little bit when our programs aren't playing as well. That's right, um, and we know when it's good is good. We've seen it. Um, you know, I happen to be on campus during a basketball national championship. I've, I've seen. Um, what it looks like when we win the Big Ten championship. I've uh, seen what it looks like when we go to the Rose Bowl. Um, so we've got to be present, I think, as you said, in those years in between uh, and create some affinity uh, for folks from Illinois uh, to to embrace this team. This team belongs to the, to the entire state. Um, this program belongs to the entire state. And once we figure that out, we'll be in a good spot. I, I, I tell you, who do represent Illinois? Rain, shine, win, losing, uh Senator Dick Durbin, he <laughs> represents Illinois football on Capitol Hill like never before. Like he he has his stuff. And whether it's Illinois football or Chicago Bears, bro, like he is not a a, a featherweight uh, emotional fan, right? He is all in no matter what. So guys like that, um, you know, and I've heard about other politicians. I don't want to get too political around that, but I've heard about other people who represent that program to the fullest. And I think we as a community, as an alumni, we, we can do a better job and represent our program. So it makes it a bit more visible to the community. Obviously, these kids who are coming through the program, whether it be the, the transfer portals or just coming out of high school, um, they have they have they we give them an opportunity to go and, and learn more about Illinois football, Illinois basketball and give us a shot in recruiting some of this top talent. That, that, is, that is true. And I, it is one of the things that connected me with Senator Derby when I was a young man um, uh, is his his love. He's still for a young him. man. He's talking about when he was young. When I was a younger, when I was a younger <laughs> man, when my knees worked a little differently, my back didn't feel the way it does. <laughs> Um, uh, you know, he, um, he, he is an Illinois guy through and through, grew up in East St. Louis, obviously lives in Springfield. Um, but Illinois football is important to him. And so I, I think we need as many advocates as we can in this space. Man, love it, man. Love it. Love it. And let's shift gears, man. And kind of go to this ever changing world of college football. So I'm not sure if you kind of heard the last reports around Caleb Williams. I obviously he's you know the most recent Heisman Trophy winner. He's you know he's he's playing well individually. I think the program you know USC as a team that could be um, performing a little bit better, but he's playing well. He's doing his part uh, as an individual to put himself in the conversation of being the number one overall pick when he does decide to come out. Um, but there's there's some interesting reports. Now, of course, I mean it's media. I'm not sure how true these things are, right? Uh, I haven't fact checked these sources, but there's reports coming out that saying whatever team that drafts him, he expects to have equity ownership in that organization. All right? And I, to my knowledge, that hasn't that hasn't been done ever before. 
not only just in the NFL, but I don't think it's been done in basketball unless I'm mistaken. What are your thoughts around collegiate players balling and and and, and justifiably the best college football player in the country? What are your thoughts around him seeking that you know that level of compensation? Not only being the number one pick, but expecting some equity ownership in the organization that drives him. First off, whether it's football or, or life or business, you never get what you worth. You get what you bargain for, uh, and so. Um, while this is a, a bit of a crazy stretch for, for those of us who have been around and, and watched this for a while, I'm not mad at it. I, I think you got to try, right? Uh, make them say no. Uh, and, and I'm sure they probably will say no. Uh, but, it, but, but it's worth it, man. Um, this this kid is a uh, uh, an extremely big deal right now. He's talented. Um, I don't know how that's going to translate to his NFL career. Um, nobody knows, right? He may, not, he may never take a snap in the NFL, but... Um, you strike while the iron's hot. You 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 try to get it going, and and why wouldn't you uh, ask that question? Why wouldn't you try to make sure your your son and your family is remunerated uh, to historical proportions? Juice, one of my you know I'm a history guy, man. One of my favorite quotes is um, when when John Dillinger was finally caught by the FBI, they asked him a question. They said, "Why do you rob banks?" And he said, "Because that's where the money's at." Right? <laughs> if that look at me, I said, why, why would you ask that question? Because that's where the money's at. And so I think I think it's the right thing. Uh, I think it's an interesting thing uh, for him to do. I also, you know, I know there's been a lot of conversations over the last few years about maybe uh, helicopter sports parents who may be doing too much, guys like uh, yeah. um, LeVar Ball and and um, those folks. But uh, listen, it, it worked for uh, Eli Manning. I mean, Archie Manning. Uh, it, it worked for Joe Montana's father when he wanted him to go to a certain team and and he had the grease of skiers in the background. So listen, I, I understand it. I'm glad that, that this father is a part of his son's life, and he's um, very uh, detail oriented, and he wants to see the best thing for his, for his young man. And so we'll see what happens. It's, it's an interesting concept. I don't think it goes anywhere though. Yeah, man. Uh, look, I'm all for the ask. I mean, I, and I negotiate every day in my profession, being in finance. I mean, negotiations is absolutely a part of the conversation when you talk about. You know the economics of it, but uh, man, look, and I'm always going to be for these players. Like I'm a former player, I'm a, I'm probably going to be a little a little bit biased when it turns of um, whose side of uh, you know any sort of debate I'm going to be on. But I'm I'm also a realist too, especially when it comes to sports. It's, you know I I try to be fair on both sides. But this is this that 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 that's wild. I haven't seen that one before. That's that's a wild request, and and I don't think he's wrong for putting it out there. But like you said, I don't think it goes anywhere. It's so many other factors that come into like equity ownership. I mean, and I'm not sure how, you know, what lines he's crossing in terms of conf- conflicts of interest, in terms of like having a stake in one team, then potentially getting traded or going to another team. I'm not sure what that looks like. Yep. Um, and then you kind of set the stage with the rest of the owners around the NFL. Now, all of a sudden, the class of 2025 rolls around, and here we go, because Caleb gets what he bargains and, like you said, what he negotiates. You set the precedent for the following classes. Of, well, hey, he got a percentage. I need a percentage, or I need a half a point, whatever is going to be negotiated. And then it's like, all right, only, it's only so many points you can give away within, <laughs> within any organization or within any company, right? So um, it's... Even before you even get to all that, just the simple, you know, fact of it hasn't been done yet. Um, it's hard to really tell if that is justified or warranted based on the talent or the production you actually put out on the NFL. We've seen so many, you know, number one overall quarterbacks 
not, not necessarily bust, but just be kind of middle of the pack a bit, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we see guys like, for example, Matt Stafford. I mean, he's a guy with, up until recently, to him actually winning the Super Bowl, he was kind of number one overall pick, was kind of middle of the pack. Playing well, but not really winning, not really translating to any W's. Or when I say winning, you know, uh, Super Bowls. When I mean, when I say when I talk about winning, but up until recently, he just got his first one. So he's one of those guys. And is really is that really justified for him having equity ownership in the team, right? So I think all those factors come into play. Would I like to see it? It'll be pretty dope to see a college kid come out and say they part owner of the team that they play for, and on top of that, you know, being the highest paid rookie that's coming out um, that year. Will it happen? Like you said, I don't think it goes anywhere. I think it gets halted. Um, the good old boys, they'll have a small circle. Even if that owner wants to do it, the good old boys in, in their, their yeah. circle, they'll kill the idea right away. I think you're right. And, and as you say, it's hard to translate what happens, especially with quarterbacks. Um, we all, many of us had um, uh, big plans for Jamarcus Russell and Sam Darnold and Matt Leinart, um and, and, and those guys. And, you know, they, they didn't go the way it was supposed to go. Vince Young, one of my favorite college athletes of all time. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to it's, it's hard to kind of translate. I think the other pre- uh, part of it is that's a big deal um, is that this may be the right ask, but maybe in the wrong league. What do I mean by that? Um, this may happen in, in the NBA um, because in the NBA, the players run the league uh, in the NFL. The owners run the league and in baseball, the union runs the league. Right. These are different um, kind of atmospheres and different um, structures for, for all these leagues. I think it's the wrong league, wrong act for the NFL because, uh, as you said, the, the, the owners are going to push back on this. They're not going to open up this floodgate uh, because there's too much money involved. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. There's a better shot with NBA kind of setting the precedent for that. Because as a player, right, you look at a guy like Wimby. Like, it's all a, a crapshoot, of course. But historically speaking, that, that level of talent combined with that skill set um, all of the marketing around him, not only is going to generate revenue for the organization, for, for the company, if you look at it that way, but he's actually going to produce. I mean, I don't think, I mean, this might be the highest, the most touted sort of number one overall picks probably since LeBron. And we've seen what, you know, we see what kind of happened with that, that scenario. Uh, and I'm not saying that Wimby is going to be that guy, but, you know, situations like that, where if he gets remotely close to being, you know, three-fourths as good as LeBron is, I mean, he can take over an entire game. Whereas I can go out and throw for 6,000 yards every year as a quarterback. I can still lose. Like, I can absolutely lose games with 6,000 yards a year, right? So to that point, I mean, I think that's a good – That's you, you make a good uh, – you make a valid valid point, valid comment. Right ass, wrong league, and that's and we'll kind of see what I'd be interested to see how all this stuff sort of unfold. If he actually will get what he's asking for somewhere, some sort of middle ground, um, so um, sort of agreement. I mean, we'll see. But I mean, in the meantime, Caleb, keep balling, um, cool. keep doing your thing, and, and put yourself in position to be able to come to the table and make that ask, um, and just kind of see what happens. That's right. See what happens. Hey, Cam, it's always real talking to you, man. Super excited about this upcoming game. We got a great opportunity against Minnesota this week to to become bowl eligible. Um, I think we have everything um, that it takes to go out there and win the game. And I think day by day, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll prepare ourselves to get ready for this upcoming Saturday. But it's always fun seeing you chat with you, and I'll be looking forward to this game this weekend. You too, brother. This was fun. Brand new season. We're 0-0. Zero zero. Let's try to find a way to get to 4-0 um, and to put this team where they deserve to be. Ask you well, well.
Oski Wow Wow.